Just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting, adventurous show, Supernatural Girls. So glad you're joining us tonight. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I am here with my co-host, PK from Tucson, Arizona. How are you, PK? Well, I'm absolutely doing fabulously, in spite of the fact I want to have a tantrum because of my tree. Oh, I know you had a microburst last night. We were That's just talking right. about that horrible event, and it took a lot of that beautiful tree out. So sorry to hear that. That's miserable. Well, I feel sorry for some of the people in the area because we had quite a storm and a lot of lightning and a lot of damage was done intermittently, not in one specific area, but it kind of danced around the area here. Oh, that's awful. I know we've had them here in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. They do a tremendous amount of damage. They say it's just as bad as a tornado touching down. It is. You cry just as much. Oh, God. (laughs) I'm so sorry that happened to you and your beautiful tree that your husband planted. That's a shame. It is. But hopefully they can salvage it. Sounds like it's still alive. So it, It still has roots. Let's put it that way. (laughs) <laughs> Not much above, but it's got roots. <laughs> it, got, it has the roots. All right. That's that's a good thing. Well, what's going on in the numbers? Is chaos out there. What's happening? Oh, huh. chaos. Well, let's put it this way. It's a universal seven day. So it's the kind of a day where you have to take a long breath, kind of enjoy your time alone and try to spend some time alone. Because any time that you can spend by yourself and or around water, it's enriching the soul. There's a lot. Of, well, I'll, let's call this a mental day. Physically. You'll feel disrupted by what's going on. Ideas keep popping in and out. You realize what's going, but there doesn't seem to be a balance to anything. You can't help it but being a little moody, and I'll say high spirituality is definitely around you for today. So let's pull on some of that, because tomorrow, that's even better, because you get it's a great day to organize, work out things that you've got ongoing, say it's job, business, finances, whatever, But check and see if your books are going to balance because there's a tendency to overspend right now. You're going to feel somewhat of a lack of construction to what you're doing. You may want to reorganize what's going on with your finances, but it's a good time to advertise your talents, show what you've got to offer, and you might be surprised at what extra money can come in when you don't expect it. Ooh, extra money. We all like that. That's a good part. That is definitely yes. a good part. You know, it's it's interesting that you mentioned things being a little out of balance today. Uh, somebody, actually two people, had recommended to me to watch a new series on Netflix called Stranger Things. So I started watching it. I thought, well, I'll watch a couple. Of, I couldn't stop watching them. So talk about being out of balance. I was binge watching Stranger Things. Highly recommend it. Great series on Netflix. All paranormal. All the stuff we love. Great Ooh, acting. That sounds good. Oh, it's excellent. Good script. We got to get some of these actors on our show to talk to us about their own paranormal adventures. And I, I hope we'll get that in the works for the fall. But it was an excellent, excellent series. But I couldn't stop watching. I think I have maybe two more left. 
It was really worth my entire afternoon, let me tell you. <laughs> How many segments <laughs> did we watch? Uh, I, I think I got five under my belt here. Oh, five? Yeah. <laughs> okay. You are, now, you are now a junkie. That's all there is to it. <laughs> I couldn't help myself and talk about being out of balance. It was, but I didn't care. I was having a good time. So That's what counts. Yes. And, you know, we've got a number of paranormal news things tonight. I came across one that was so funny. I had to share that first. Now, you know, when people get abducted, they usually don't get a chance to take pictures, right? Mm-hmm. But there was, apparently, a UFO abduction by this woman in Illinois. She was abducted and had you know, lost time. When she came back, her cell phone had 40 pictures on it that she didn't take. Oh, for heaven's sakes. But here's the funny part. Uh, It looks like they were taken aboard a spaceship, that, and she didn't take them. So, you know, what we're all thinking is the aliens were so considerate that they took pictures for her so she could show them to everybody and prove she was aboard that ship. Mm -hmm. So it is so, I just love that story. I think it's great. But she, she said, look, I didn't take these pictures. And some of them are very weird. One of them does look alien like. So... Who knows? She could have had, she could have really had that happen. And I will not question her at this point. I think, why not, right? What part of Illinois? This was in Plymouth, Hancock County. Hmm. And she had a lengthy period of lost time, too. This wasn't a quick, this wasn't a quickie. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't usually happen in Illinois. (laughs) I guess not. So there you have it. And now there is another one. I sent this one over to you, too, PK. The Scottish police are yes. baffled, baffled indeed. Yes, you saw Isn't that wild. Yeah, it's crazy. Christ. Yeah, they thought this woman, this mother and her teenage son, that they were just a little off, you know, maybe mentally ill or whatever, because they were very distressed after a series of violent and unexplained events at their house. And it forced them to reach out to the police, and the police were like, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. But guess what? They experienced the phenomenon for themselves, and they were so flabbergasted, they actually ended up calling the Catholic Church for assistance. (laughs) Now, that's scary. It is. So with the officers, this is what they saw. Lights going on and off, clothes flying across the room. And the dog sitting on top of a hedge, like perched there by somebody or something. So the officers called their superiors, who also attended, thinking the cops were perhaps being a bit silly. Mm -hmm. But then they saw they weren't being silly. This stuff was really going on. So officers in more than 20 years of service are saying they've never seen anything like this. So there you have it over in Scotland. How about it, huh? Their little gremlins are showing up everywhere these days. (laughs) (laughs) They are indeed, indeed. So there's a few more stories. They are on our Facebook page tonight. Mm -hmm. So I want to just urge everybody to take a trip over there. You can see more photographs of UFOs and other things that have been recently reported. Give us a like while you're there. Make sure you're following us on Twitter and that you've signed up for the Fringe Files, our newsletter. So you can be uh, in the know for everything that we're up to, all the new shows coming up. Next week, we have a psychic detective that has worked with police departments all over the country. Robbie Thomas is going to be here. So don't miss that. Get your questions ready for Robbie. So tonight, 
we have two exciting guests. We have Ezra Parzibach from the high end, because you and I were getting questions on CBD oil and medical marijuana from our audience. So we thought, why not bring Ezra on? He can answer these questions for people. And when we're finished with those questions, we are going to bring on our main guest for the night, Brennan Storr, who has written a great book, A Strange Little Place. We're going to talk about all the stuff we love. Everything from ghosts to UFOs to Bigfoot, you name it. We're going to be talking about it, even the shadow people. And I believe Brennan had his own experience with the shadow people. We're going to talk to him tonight, find out what in the world is going on in Revelstoke, Canada. We're going to find out. But right now, Ezra, let's bring you on to the show. This is Ezra Parzibach from the org. Ezra, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, Patricia and PK. Thanks for having me on. Well, yes, we've got some questions for you from our audience, and so we thought let's uh, clear up some misconceptions about a few things. PK, you want to go first with your question? Well, yeah, because I've had different uh, my clients asking me about this because they're told that this is really good for them, but then somebody else says, no, it isn't. So mm-hmm. what is CBD oil, and is it legal, say, in the state of Arizona or is any particular states where you cannot use it as a, a medical part? These are great questions, and it is very confusing. But basically, CBD is an acronym for cannabidiol. Cannabidiol is a compound that is found in the cannabis plant. It's found in hemp and traditional medical marijuana. And what they've discovered is that all these compounds in the plant do different things in our body. CBD is doesn't get you high. They've discovered it doesn't get you high, but it has... Am- anti-inflammatory attributes and it has anti-anxiety attributes and it doesn't interact with medication and is non-toxic. So uh, it's this new exciting thing that people are trying and using and it's not THC so it's not regulated and you can buy it online. There's tons of places but thehighend.org is where I have my CBD that I've researched, the companies that are the, the provide the best, and I really like what they do and what they stand for, and so uh, I use this particular brand of CBD that I really love and have had success with. Well, that's good to know because not everybody wants to take a chance. You know, we go by a name we don't always know. When you have somebody like you that knows what it's all about and can give good information, then you don't feel threatened by it. Exactly. And when you think of cannabis or marijuana, you think, mm-hmm. well, getting high and I, you don't want to get high sometimes and or maybe all the time you don't want to get high. And so, <laughs> and so CBD is a great way of using some of the medicinal qualities of the plant. And if it's formulated correctly and used correctly, some people just have great success with it where other medications fail or other treatments have not worked for them. Do you have information for how it's to be used and how to best use it for whatever purpose you're looking for? Mm -hmm. Well, I've been formulating my own remedies, trying to figure that out because it's so new. Mm -hmm. People don't really understand the dosing. But basically, if I sit down with someone and learn what their, say, anxiety is or when Mm -hmm. their inflammation in their gut flares up, then I can say, all right, you need this level, this dose, and 
you should take it in the morning. And there's all these aspects of it that can lead a patient toward health or they find, geez, it doesn't work. So sometimes it helps to have someone work with you one-on-one over a few weeks to figure out what the best way to take it is. That makes good sense. Now, is it all? Is it taken orally, or, or can you put it on your skin, or what is the process of using it? Mm-hmm. Great question. So, it is taken orally. I infuse it into uh, olive oil, for example, and then people can take that orally, and it goes into the into the GI tract and gets slowly absorbed. So it's more of a time release. You can also have an alcohol tincture. So the alcohol gets absorbed into the, into the bloodstream more quickly. So if you have a panic attack, for example, you take a, a few drops of the uh, CBD alcohol tincture and it hopefully will relax your, your system, your nervous system. And some people actually vaporize it or, or smoke it. So it's, it is a thick oil. And if you use medical marijuana, many people will add it to their medical marijuana because the CBD and THC actually work together in what's called an entourage effect that has even more beneficial attributes for various ailments. Well, they talk sometimes by taking something, we may end up uh, getting too much of a liking for it when the body needs to cut back. Is this uh, something that a person could hooked on or feel they have to have versus just using it? Yeah, that is a great question. So first of all, THC is addictive. Uh, It's not as addictive as coffee, but if you're like me, coffee is delicious. It's hard to not drink coffee. So THC is a strong addictive substance, but it's because it is received by receptors in the brain. CBD, so far, the research shows that it's not addictive because we don't receive it in receptors, and therefore the receptors don't start to crave it more. The CBD acts more as a toner in our nervous system by influencing the enzymes that break down certain neurotransmitters. So essentially, it's a lighter kind of standoffish compound that the body can receive and not feel addicted to. It's a very fascinating substance. That's great. I'm a little curious if a person's taking this, we'll say, and uh, they've been a little reckless when they're driving and they're stopped, could this be considered something that, uh, we'll say, like a DWI when a person gets that for for alcohol? Can something like this happen with the CBD oil? Uh, That is also a great question, PK. Uh, Well, if they're testing for CBD and they find it in the system of the patient and it goes to court and they say, well, we believe CBD is a factor in this DUI, they'd still have to prove that CBD impairs the the driver. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, uh, you know, I don't recommend it. I don't recommend taking, uh, you know, drinking too much coffee and driving or not getting enough sleep and driving. We have to be very careful. I have never seen or read about anyone using CBD and being impaired in driving, but uh, it's always important to be careful with anything we try. I always recommend people try it on a Saturday when they have free time and they're going to be safe and surrounded by people who support their health. I think that sounds wonderful. That's it's, good advice. And yeah. we've got a whole bunch of questions that just came in from the chat room and I'm going to run down them very quickly, Ezra. Okay. 
and then we'll have to go uh, for tonight. But obviously, this is a very popular subject with our audience. Everybody wants to know the right way to use it. And what I can tell all of the people in our audience tonight is I totally trust Ezra at thehighend.org. I have personally used his CBD oil. I have tried other brands, and his is the purest and the best. And Ezra knows what he's talking about. He's been doing this for many years, and he understands the different strains of marijuana. There's so many of them. He understands what they all do and all the products that they can be made into. But to find what's best for you in your health, I agree with Ezra. You really need somebody to walk you through it, and, and Ezra's your man. So he can be found at thehighend.org. You can schedule a consultation with him. You can buy his CBD oil online, and he's got varying strengths of that. But I highly sure, recommend sure. that you, you make that, that reach out to Ezra. But here's a couple of questions Ezra will run sure, through sure. very quickly. Um, Dondani wants to know, have you seen the video of an oncologist that is showing THC killing lung cancer cells while leaving healthy cells alone? Uh, yes. I, well, essentially, there's a lot of research and a lot of debate about THC's effect on cancerous cells. So I'm going to <laughs> dispel the myths right now and, and say, no, it doesn't cure cancer. But there is evidence of moderate cancer cell reduction with THC as well as CBD. And if you are uh, have cancer or know someone who, who does, I definitely recommend uh, researching it. I have a great article on thehighend.org about cancer uh, that details a lot of the scientific studies. But essentially, I think it's very difficult to say it's going to cure cancer. Cancer is very complex. There's many different ways that the body um, forms cancer, but it is a very viable form of treatment. Uh, there are clinics in California that are utilizing radiation and conventional therapy for cancer as well as THC and CBD. So it's promising. That's great. Now here is a question from Max. Max wants to know, can you put CBD oil in brownies? Uh, yes, that's a great question. CBD oil is like a, it's actually uh, very reminiscent to ghee, like clarified butter. You can cook with it. Of course, it's because of the market and all the regulations and it has to come from Europe. It's quite expensive. It's about $30 a gram for Ooh. the CBD oil. Uh, but it can be infused like I sell it at thehighend.org infused in olive oil. And you could put olive oil in a brownie and mm -hmm. uh, and derive benefits, I recommend taking it straight because it's very subtle. And so you want to know what your proper dose is before you start cooking with it and infusing it into foods where it can be difficult to sense what's happening. It's such a, a non-psychoactive drug that, that you don't necessarily feel it unless you uh, really put your consciousness in the proper spot and have the proper guidance and know when to utilize it for various ailments. Right. And I'm going to refer Jan Janet Lynn. You've got a great question, but we won't be able to get to it tonight. But I do suggest you contact Ezra to have it answered. The question is, what is the best combination of CBD and THC for neuropathy and inflammation? So be sure to contact Ezra with that question, Janet Lynn. I'm sure he'll be happy to answer it for you. Again, this is Ezra, who's with us tonight, Parzibach from 
thehighend.org. You can reach him there on his website, and he's happy to answer your questions, do a consult, and also you can purchase the CBD oil directly from Ezra. Ezra, thanks so much for coming oh, on. Oh, it's great show. to be on. Thank you so much, and have a great show. Well, thank yeah. you. Awesome. All great right. information for us. Yes. Great information. My pleasure. No. We need to know these things so we can be healthy. So now, let's see. We have a great guest coming up. And he is the author of, I think, an incredibly cool book. PK, you and I both read it and loved it. Wasn't it a fun book to read? It was so interesting. The thing was one story after the other. It just kept you hooked. Because it did. Of trying to figure out what the next one was going to be. Uh, exactly. So the name of this book is A Strange Little Place. And God, is this place ever strange? <laughs> the hauntings and unexplained events of one small town. The author is Brennan Storr, and he is a researcher and storyteller who has written articles for several publications. And he's a former skeptic. Isn't that interesting? And he's been subject to an accidental exorcism, has had encounters with shadow people, which we want to hear about that, and currently works in a haunted office building in Victoria, the most haunted city on Canada's West Coast. You can visit him online at largelythetruth.com. But right now he's here with us. Brennan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to be here. Well, thanks so much for taking your time to talk to us about this strange little place. Oh, my God. So you're a former skeptic. What changed your mind? Uh, well, honestly, what changed my mind was uh, the appearance of a shadow person. That, uh, you know, it's it's hard to bang the, mis- the meaningless universe drum when uh, something that isn't there suddenly pops up in your field of view. Mm-hmm. And once you yeah. rule out medical causes, uh, it's hard to it's hard to know what you're left with. So you ruled out the uh, mental illness. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go so I wouldn't go that far necessarily. Okay. My my wife might disagree with you there, but uh, <laughs> severe mental illness, we'll say. All right, so you ruled that out. Yes. But when? How old were you when that happened? When you saw the shadow people? I was, I believe, twenty nine. And what happened? You got. We want the details here. So. In 2012, I decided to write this uh, to write this book, which is a collection of paranormal stories from my my little mountain hometown. I lived there until I was 24, and that's when I moved out to the coast. And in 2012, I thought, well, I'll collect all the stories my family used to tell around the around the dinner table about the house they grew up in. And the project sort of grew from there into I, I wonder if there are enough of these to write a whole book. And as it turned out, there were. So, of course, not living there, I had to make research trips back and forth. And after my first research trip, uh, it was April 2012, and I was talking to the receptionist who works, or I should say rather, who worked in the same office as I did. Uh, we were having a chat about uh, spooky things. I was telling her about some of the stories I'd heard. And we were the only two people in the office that day. It was a beautiful, beautiful April day. The sun was streaming in. Not a single scary thing about it. But as we talked, I could see in the empty office behind her what looked like an all-black head peek out from behind a coat rack, hold for just a second, and then go back out of sight. Wow. Yeah, and I I didn't know what to make of it, not at all. Because, again, I, I didn't even know what a shadow person was at that point. My knowledge of the paranormal was minimal at best. So... 
I, so you were just collecting stories, and here you are speaking to this woman. You're the only two people in the office, and boom, this shadow person shows up. I mean, did you have a visceral reaction? I mean, did you have? Did your heart rate pick up? Did you turn all cold and clammy? Did anything happen to you physically when you saw this thing? Absolutely. The the sense the way I can best describe the sensation is a kind of internal panic, sort of a a scrambling a scrambling for some kind of mental mental handhold, so to speak. I I felt the color sort of drain out of the day, and I I really started to. Uh, to go kick in overdrive, and it, it took a real, a real uh, force of will to just settle myself and say, "No, I, I didn't see anything. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm going right back to the day I was having before that." And that would have been fine if I hadn't seen it again later, and if it hadn't touched me. Ooh, now was this the same day? No, this was about a week and a half later. Uh, my wife goes to work earlier than I do, and so I woke up about. 8.30 in the morning. Uh, it was, I believe it was May by this time. And again, it was a lovely spring morning. The sunlight was coming in through the blinds. It was, it was for all intents and purposes, the beginning of a, a very lovely day. And then I realized there was something standing just to my left in the corner of my vision. And I, I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense because there are night tables there. Someone can't stand there. So I turned to look. And as I turned to look, this thing, which was a, a shadow in the shape of a man, fell across me in bed. Mm. <laughs> and it was like electricity running throughout my entire body. And I always say, this sounds ridiculous, but then I fell asleep. Huh. It, it seems like such an unlikely reaction to what is essentially a bending of your entire worldview, but uh, I guess my brain said, no, we're not doing this today. And <laughs> it's almost like a shock. Yeah. I think, it, yeah, puts you to sleep. Electric I, shock. Yeah, I think it is. And so I woke up 30 minutes later and I thought, well, that was that was something. And um, I didn't think much about it, but I realized later, and of course I didn't make the connection at the time, it was many months later that I made the connection, that marked the beginning of the blackest depression I have experienced since I was a teenager. Ooh. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've struggled with depression all my life. It's it's no secret. And it's something I've eventually come to control with, with diet and exercise. But that was a throwback to the very blackest, bleakest periods of my life. Just this, this internal sense of, uh, of discord and misery. And it, it lasted for about two weeks until my wife and I got into quite a, quite a, a big argument. I provoked a, quite a big argument, which is unlike me. I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm normally a big teddy bear. I don't like to fight. But for whatever reason, I just had this, this real, real chip on my shoulder. And then it, it was gone. The feeling was gone. And... Since then, I, of course, had my what I refer to as my, my accidental exorcism. And ever since that time, I've seen the shadows, I believe, w at least once since. But it's, it's as though they can't come near me. Hmm. Uh, the, the last time, it was, uh, it was no nearer than, I'd say, 10 feet away. Now, with the shadow people that you had an experience of... Did they? Uh, some of these uh, folks that have had this happen say that they wear hats. Did you have the the kind that were wearing hats or not? No, no. These were uh, these were not hat men. I'm I'm passingly familiar with the phenomenon now, but uh, I had to, of course had to Google all this and, and sort of learn it that way. But no, they were just shadows in the shape of I say men uh, because they just did not have any outwardly feminine traits. But no, they were just yeah shadows in the shape of men and. Uh, 
very, very curious and unfortunately handsy. Hmm. Now, why do you think you got to see them? What's, again, what's the, the uh, explanation that you think of why this happened to you? Well, I, I, I wish I had a, a definite idea because I, then I could not do that thing. But <laughs> and, and we couldn't do it either. <laughs> tell us. That's right. But I, I think the best way to illustrate it uh, is a story that I that happened something that happened to me when I was in New Orleans last year. Last year, I, I went down for the International Remote Viewing Association conference in New Orleans just to just to see what it was all about. And while I was walking around New Orleans at night after the conference, I ran into a fellow who, who was an artist, and we got talking and uh, traded stories back and forth about supernatural things that, that had occurred to us uh, because these stories just seemed to find their way to me. And he said, you know, people like you and me, we, we have to be careful because most people just live their lives. But people like you and me, he said, we, we're drawn to push deeper into something I call the principalities. And that's where all the dark things live. Mm. And he said, for whatever reason... We were drawn to this, and the problem with, with being deep into the principalities is you see the things, and then the things see you. And so I have to wonder if my opening my awareness to, to all these supernatural things, to the world, the larger world around me, if it maybe left me open and allowed things to see me as well. Yeah, that's a really good uh, thought and question, and we're going to hang on to that because we're going to discuss this some more when we come back from our break, which we're going to take in about 30 seconds here. But again, we are talking to Brennan Storr this evening. He is the author of a great book called A Strange Little Place, The Hauntings and Unexplained Events of One Small Town. We are going to find out what in the world else is going on in Revelstoke when we come back from our break. You are listening to Supernatural Girls Radio, and we'll be right back. Listening to IRN, the Inception Radio Network, Chicago, Illinois. You didn't forget what's coming up tonight, did you? Hi, Inception Radio Network listeners. This is Amanda. Never miss that interview you were looking forward to or the show on your favorite topic. Follow IRN on Twitter. I underscore R underscore N and get reminders about the evening's live shows as well as fun and important updates throughout the week. That's I underscore R underscore N and never miss a great show again. My name is Ezra and I'm from the highend.org. You've heard of medical marijuana, but who can you trust for proper guidance? Here at the highend.org, we have all the information you need. Did you know that scientists have discovered cannabis can reduce inflammation, pain, and spasms? It's helped my patients reduce the symptoms of autoimmune diseases, PTSD, autism, and insomnia. A compound from hemp called CBD is doing wonders for intestinal issues, anxiety, and the nervous system. I sell this compound at thehighend.org. 
I've worked as a medical marijuana consultant and educator for the past six years, and here at thehighm.org, I can help you choose from the hundreds of cannabis strains and products and find the ones that are best for your needs. To learn more about cannabis, schedule a Skype or phone consultation, or to have a CBD product shipped right to your door, visit thehighm.org. That's thehighm, all one word, dot org. I'll help make your health high-end. Hi, can you hear my voice? Imagine how many other people can hear it too. If you have advertising needs, then look no further. The Inception Radio Network currently has openings for on-air advertisements and radio show sponsorships. Giving any thought to your target demographic? Inception has you covered there, too. Advertising on a network gives you multiple opportunities to advertise on a wide variety of radio show broadcasts, and we have one to fit every advertising need. You know, in recent years, Internet radio has exhibited a phenomenal listener growth. An Arbitron Edison survey shows that online radio boosts at least 33 million unique visitors each week and 54 million each month. And that number amazingly continues to grow. And these listeners are a part of many businesses' core demographics. And surveys have shown that Internet radio listeners are far more likely than regular radio listeners to spend money on a whole range of activities. You know, Internet listeners vote, they dine out and eat fast food, and they grab a cup of coffee. And here's the interesting one. They buy items online at a much higher rate than all other market segments combined. Internet radio also enables businesses to connect with consumers during work hours, where increasingly more lifestyle decisions are being made. Advertise with the best. The Inception Radio Network offers competitive advertising rates to fit just about anyone's advertising budget. Stop by today at www.inceptionradionetwork.com or call us toll-free at 1-888-919-2355. Get the word out. Get results with the Inception Radio Network. Are you a fan of Inception Radio Network? Do you reckon it's the best alternative talk radio station on the planet? Well, if you do, head to facebook.com forward slash Inception Radio Network and like the page. Tell your friends, spread the word, and keep listening to the best. Hello, Inception Radio Network listeners. This is Amanda. Remember, you can take your Inception Radio shows on the go. Just download the Inception Radio Network app for your iPhone, iPad, or Android smartphones and access live shows, past shows, guest lineups, and much more. Just visit the iTunes Store or the Google Play Marketplace and download it today for free. Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get attorney Pat Quintilian's book, Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records, only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. 
Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I am your host, Patricia Baker, and I am here with my co-host, famous numerologist PK, Patricia Kirkman, and our great guest, Brennan Storr. He's the author of a super book, A Strange Little Place, The Hauntings and Unexplained Events of One Small Town. So we were talking about the shadow people and and why you and all of those great questions, and you had some answers for us. So let's keep going with that, and then I have a couple questions from the chat room for you. That sounds great. So in in terms of why me, again, I, I don't think I'm special. I just think it's that I... I started looking, and so I think it started looking back. And for whatever reason, I seem to keep stumbling into these things, not shadow people specifically, but the paranormal. Uh, Mm -hmm. Especially, it seems to be increasing. I I like to say that if there is such a thing as a reluctant paranormal investigator, I am that. (laughs) Well, that's good. That's good. So you really, I'm sure, check your facts and... And do a lot of soul searching before you report on any of this. But certainly, the shadow people have been reported for quite some time. Uh, I've had my own experiences with them that were interesting. But it's uh, still a mystery. The shadow people are still a mystery. Absolutely. As these things are. But it's really cool you've had that experience. Now, Trish, Trisha Reynolds is in our chat room, and she has a great question. She wants to know, has the government shown any interest in this town? Well, not to the best of my knowledge, with one exception. I have one story from a a friend of mine who was traveling back towards town late at night with a a friend of his when they saw three orange lights in the sky arranged in the shape of a triangle. And as I understand it, this, this is not an unusual phenomenon as far as ufology goes. And so they saw these lights uh, rearrange themselves in the sky. And then the next day, uh, there were a lot of military personnel around. And uh, certainly, now I filed a Freedom of Information request with the Canadian government, and they said there was a, uh, I believe it was an event happening at that time, some kind of memorial event, which they said explained the military presence. And I, I tend to, uh, to agree, I'm not necessarily much of a conspiracy theorist for most things. But uh, there is definitely that case where the military was present within a day or so of one of these sightings. Hmm. So there was some military presence just on the basis of, of what your friends told you about that sighting. But, you know, it's not unusual. And this is why I think Trisha's question is a good one. It is not unusual to find government involvement in paranormal areas. We had a guest on the show who wrote a book about an area in Litchfield, Connecticut. And in this, on this particular property, there was a government installation, a farmhouse above ground and the government installation below ground in this area where there were much the same phenomena that you report in a strange little place. So I think it's a, a very valid question to ask about government involvement. They seem to be there when these things go on, especially when it, it goes on a lot then I, they seem to want to know about it. Absolutely. I, I suppose ultimately there's a, there are questions of, of national security, especially when things are involved are, are in the sky. I, I wonder if that's the thing that, that often attracts their attention. Um, or, or maybe it produces some kind of measurable disturbance uh, that we are not aware of, or at least that registers on instruments to which we are not privy. 
I think that's pretty accurate, what you just said. Absolutely. Now, here's another question, and this one is from Sonic, wants to know, was this town that's haunted in the past involved in witchcraft? Not to my knowledge, no. Mm. As, far, as far as I know, the town itself has no uh, solid or unified religious history. I know certainly there were a lot of Italian immigrants, so there's a lot of, Catholic, a lot of Catholics there. We have, uh, you know, there's a united church, there's, uh, I believe, a small synagogue. But uh, the town itself only dates back to about, I believe, the late 1880s. Okay. That, um, that region was largely unexplored until, I believe, 18, 1812 to 1815. And the town itself, the settlement, really dates back to, I believe, about the 1880s. So I, as far as I know, in, in that time, there is there has been no... I should say, organized witchcraft. There's no large covens that, I, that I'm aware of. But that said, they wouldn't advertise. So uh, it's it's presumably, a, if it is a secret, it's a closely guarded one. And again, one I haven't uncovered yet. Okay. And I think you just answered Daria's question. She wanted to know how far back do the records for the town go? So you just said, what, the 1880s is where the records begin? Or was it even before that? Thereabouts, I would say the 1880s. Uh, the town originally started as a, a small settlement along the river called Farwell, and that was uh, that was the initial incarnation of the town. And again, I believe that was in the the mid to late 1880s. That particular detail is uh, is a bit fuzzy in my mind, but uh, not much further back than that. It's a it's a pretty wild region, and uh, uh, very difficult to get to uh, before before major highways came in. Yeah, so now another question from Don Donnie. Have you tried to find out the history of the land before the town was even established? Like, was, was there a burial ground there that was disturbed? Well, it's possible, and I actually mentioned that possibility in my chapter, The Courthouse Square, because in the area around our courthouse, which is an unusually grand courthouse for such a small town, it's a beautiful, uh, I believe it's neoclassical-style building, uh, I mentioned the possibility, it has been floated to me, that whole area is haunted, perhaps because it, it, it itself was an Indian burial ground. Uh, but there are no records for that, and the, the uh, that particular courthouse was built, I believe, in 1912. So if they had uncovered remains during the construction process, I suspect they would not have been treated with the respect that they would be now, and so in all likelihood, there wouldn't have been any record of that. I, uh, interestingly, I do know that the town, or pardon me, the whole valley, which uh, is home to the town, was once home to a, uh, a band of, a First Nations band called the Sinixed people, who would move up and down the valley with the seasons. And what's interesting about that is, when we were kids, we were taught that there never had been an indigenous population in that area, that uh, they never settled there because of the avalanche danger. But I very quickly learned while researching the book that's simply not true. So, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, certainly there, there has been, and it is it's publicly acknowledged now, it's not a secret, but there was a, a, a group of people who would move up and down the valley, but as far as a specific burial ground, I, I'm not aware of that, and I, I don't believe that's a case, because Revelstoke's a, a fair size, it's spread out, and the, the area of activity stretches, I would say, for 30 miles on either side, so that would be quite a substantial burial ground. Yeah, that certainly would. And there's not a lot of people that live in Revelstoke, right? What did you tell us, 7,500 or something like that? It's a small yeah. population. Yeah, 7,500. And the, well, the downtown is concentrated. The actual residential areas are, are spread out a fair, a fair bit. But 7,500 is, I believe, where it's at right now. I'm sure someone could, could correct me on that. But I don't believe it's risen over 10,000 since the 1980s. Hmm. 
And now you talked briefly a few minutes ago about a UFO sighting. Tell us more about the UFO experiences in that area. The UFO experiences in and around the Revelstoke area are fascinating because they represent so many different kinds of phenomenon. It runs a gamut from simple twinkling lights passing over a mountain to a, a brick-like object visible above a mountaintop, which then disappears instantly. Some of the more dramatic ones have been uh, of real interest. Uh, the most dramatic, of which I would say would have to be the what I call the Rogers Pass Fireball. Now, the, the Rogers Pass Fireball is, is an event that took place in, I believe, January 1997. And it was witnessed by a, a group of uh, rail workers who were switching crews on a train in a canyon east of town. Rogers Pass is a particular mountain pass on the what's called the Trans-Canada Highway, again, roughly 30 miles east of, east of Revelstoke. It's a, it's a treacherous road, uh, even, even in, in the, well, I should say, in the winter, it's, it's a treacherous road. And even in the summer, it's, it's got some curves that'll, that'll get you if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. And at about one in the morning in January 1997, these, this group of men were, again, uh, changing crews on the train when they heard uh, an incredible explosion. And they turned to look down the valley, and they saw, coming over the mountain, an enormous, pardon me, an enormous crackling ball of energy. Oh, my like, goodness. Like a miniature sun crackling with electricity. And it passed from one side of the valley to the other in about, according to what I've heard, about 30 seconds to a minute, and then disappeared behind another mountain on the other side. Now, one person to whom they had initially reported the event posted it online. Now, of course, this is about 2000s. So we're talking early web days. But they were contacted by a researcher from the University of California at Berkeley who believed what they may have seen was the testing of an energy weapon based on the designs of Nikola Tesla. Huh. Now, yeah, it's, interesting. it's a fascinating possibility. But when I floated this to people who had actually seen it, uh, they, they said, no, not possible, because whatever it was, it was looking at us. Oh, oh. Wow. yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it sounds a lot like uh, the Travis Walton experience, fire in the sky. I mean, that's what he described seeing. It's this big ball of energy by on fire. So it sounds very similar to the UFO that he was taken up in, actually. It, it does. And that area was home to another phenomenon, which... Um, was the only one that actually frightened me while writing the book. Everything else was a, that was a great time. We had fun. Uh, you know, I met some great people. But writing about the phenomenon of missing time mm, genuinely unnerved me. And there was one case I found. Unfortunately, I was not able to trace it back to the, the person to whom it actually happened. They were, uh, it was posted on, uh, pardon me, pardon me, posted anonymously online. And so I, I was not able to find that person. But their account essentially describes missing about... 90 minutes on that highway I've described, which is, again, very treacherous and this kind of thing that requires your attention. But what he said he saw was a truck passing, a large semi-truck passed him, went around the corner ahead of him about 11 o'clock at night. And as he came around the corner, he expected the road to go up towards the, the mountain pass. Instead, the road went down and he felt momentarily disoriented. And then he looked at his clock and realized he'd lost two hours. Oh, that's a long time. Jeez. And he got to Revelstoke, and he stayed overnight. And the next morning went about his went about his day and wherever he was headed, but he was never able to drive that section of the road again without having panic attacks and without keeping another car in, dis- in view the whole time. 
and maybe about two to three months afterwards is when the are when the nightmares began. Oh. And then in those nightmares, he's driving that stretch of road that night at eleven o'clock, and he sees the truck, the the taillights of the truck disappear around the corner ahead of him. But in the dream, they come back, and they're suspended over his car, and he's bathed in red light, and something is pressing on his chest. And he wakes up. That sounds like an abduction experience, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And, and not far from where the, the train crew saw the, the Rogers Pass fireball. So it does suggest there is something unusual about the area. And also, when you talk about his his reaction, you know, the panic attack, when he drives that stretch of road, he has to keep other cars in his in his vision so that he can, you know, drive. I mean, he sounds totally traumatized from whatever happened. Absolutely, excuse me. Absolutely, it, it really seems to have uh, to have unseated him. And I'm, I'm again, I'm hoping I can find this person and get in touch with him. But it's such a sensitive subject, and appears to have been so traumatic to him. I, I suspect he may not want to talk about it. Yeah, but uh, he wrote about it, so who knows? Maybe he's waiting for you. It, 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 <laughs> it could it be. be. So if you're listening tonight and that's you, make sure you contact Brennan Store. Yeah, because that. Oh my God, the poor guy. I mean, you think about what he's still living with. In terms of this trauma, like so many abduction uh, victims are living with even today. But there is help out there. And hopefully if he can get to you, maybe you can you can get him to a place or a person who can help him to settle this down in his memory. It, it's very hard for abductees to come to terms with these types of things. And especially, I think, guys, because they're used to being in charge mm-hmm. and used to being in control. And here's something that's totally out of their control. Absolutely, and I think the other the other thing that uh, that happens, and and this is again, this is addressed in another story in my book. I think for people who are shut off to this kind of thing, when it happens, it just blows the doors off. Mm-hmm. That's it, right. If if you're not at all prepared for it, it you know you you go from locked door to hole in the wall because you you cannot process any of it. And that's a really good point. I mean, because we're so, PK, you and I, we're so used to talking about this stuff. And our tagline is, where paranormal is normal. To, for us, this is normal. Mm-hmm. But for so many people like this poor truck driver, it's not normal. So it's not something he would be thinking about in his daily life. And bam, it hit him big time. That's it. And uh, another story, which I, I, was, uh, I heard about uh, UFO sightings, it was the same thing. It was uh, three men working on a ferry boat on the last ferry of the night and uh, the fourth man was in working in the engine room doing something when the three the three men the th- pardon me his three crewmates ran in babbling to him and these are three men who'd worked on this ferry boat for some years these are not this would have been 1975 so they were not uh, you know they were they were not new to this you know in terms mm-hmm. of boats they were hardened men and they were just dumbstruck by what they had seen and what they had seen was a a shadow, roughly the size of a football field, passing over top of the boat, some 100 feet up. And in an That's instant, big. it's enormous. <laughs> Very big. It's like a small planet. Okay. And in an instant, blue flame came from the back and it was gone. Mm. And uh, you know, the, the man to whom they told this thought, well, this sounds a bit loopy, but... The three men he had worked with, he'd been working with them a while, they were all very solid people. And it it shook them. And all three of them, uh, now of course I'm not saying these things are connected, because these are people's lives, and I certainly don't want to make sensationalistic claims, but these men died within 16 months of the sighting. These were relatively Uh healthy men 
who died from sudden breakdowns in their body. Whoa, that is really, talk about scary. That's scary. And what it drained from the body. That's yeah. scary it, for sure. Due to them. It makes you wonder. It does. Mm-hmm. It does indeed. Oh, my goodness. Well, here's a couple more questions for you, Brennan. Uh, sure. Trisha wants to know, the residents of the town, is this a transitional town or can current residents trace their ancestry to the first inhabitants? I would say it's a combination of both. Up until 2007, it would have been the latter. Most people who were there had been there for quite a long time. It's the sort of place where my, my barber had been there about 10 years and he was still the new guy. Mm. <laughs> oh. I know towns like that. <laughs> Cute. Well, what but, is the main thing that keeps people alive in that area? What is the uh, commodity of say, to buy for sales or uh, manufacturing or anything of that sort? What would be the better way? You, I know that there's skiing in that there, but is it more of a... Uh, shall we say, an area that one could vacation? Or is there something more that's there that we're not aware of? It is uh, primarily that we have a sawmill. We have uh, the the Canadian Pacific Railroad is still a very, very important employer there. And the ski hill is enormously popular. We have the largest vertical drop in North America. So it's quite a draw for tourists from around the world. Every year, the the population, I should say every winter, the population swells by several thousand. It's uh, very, very popular that way. So I would say tourism, tourism, forestry, and the railroad are the three things which really keep Revelstoke going. And in recent years, we've become a real hub for adventure tourism. There are a lot of bike trails, a lot of outdoorsy stuff that growing up as a kid was not really an emphasis, uh, wasn't really important, as much, I should say. Wonderful. It makes you, you stop and wonder. So how much uh, for the accommodations for people coming in like that? Do they have a lot of resorts on the outskirts of town? Not really. There are a number of hotels in town. I, I can't uh, recall how many off the top of my head, but we the hotel population or the number of available hotel rooms seems to be increasing. They keep building places just to to keep up with demand. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a real influx of people. So to answer the listener's question, I, I would say about 50-50. Um, transitional has become more often uh, just people coming through because they want to ski. They stay long enough to ski a winter or two and then they move on. But the people who are still there, a lot of them have been there for for quite a long time. Um, for example, my family has been there. Uh, they were Italian immigrants who came from from Italy, uh, from Crescenza, Italy at about, I want to say the 1910. So mm-hmm. we've, we've been there for 100 years. And that's not uncommon. Yeah. Well, you've got some roots there. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Now, here's another question. Were the people in this town, this is interesting, were the people in this town used as subjects in astral projection or remote viewing experiments? I honestly couldn't say. I, I certainly, I've recently experimented, well, since last year, experimented with remote viewing myself, but I've, I'd never heard the subject raised in Revelstoke until I personally went to, to the conference, which is not to say I brought it to Revelstoke, just that I had never heard about it at all. So having grown up there, I assume if we had, if this was a publicized thing, then, then we would have known. But again, a lot of remote viewing, of course, uh, happened as a result of government projects, as I'm sure you, you're no doubt aware. So it's entirely possible that the town has been surveilled at some point remotely. Certainly the phenomenon works. I, I can't dispute that. I, I've managed to uh, to do it myself once or twice successfully. So it's, it's, it's oh, something that happens. Good for you. That's not easy to do. That no. uh, takes a special talent. So good oh, for I- you. 
It was uh, it was uh, it was a like I'd say a beginner's luck, but uh, it was <laughs> that was another another step towards my being thrust into understanding that there's more about the world than uh, than I had previously believed. Oh gosh, yes. Now in the book, you talk about an angel sighting that's pretty dramatic. Did you have a bunch of those or just one of those? Two in the entire book, one of which takes place in the sky above Revelstoke, which was quite strange. It was uh, a feature of the Aurora Borealis, which appeared to transform in front of the eyes of a witness. The second uh, was actually, I found through, uh, believe it or not, through the work of John Keel. In his book, Operation Trojan Horse, he mentions uh, a, a UFO sighting just outside of Revelstoke. Mm. So I, I tracked down the people involved, or I should say the one of the people involved. It was a husband and wife. The, the husband has unfortunately passed. But uh, his wife, uh, Frida, is, is still alive and living in the Okanagan. So we spoke. And not mentioned in the Keel, in the reporting uh, done by Keel, is that Harold, her husband, who um, was with her during the sighting, he had seen an angel when he was a boy. He was playing in a, uh, I should say, a, a rural part of Alberta where he where he lived. And he was running about, I guess, as kids in rural Alberta did. And he heard someone call to him. And when he turned to look, there was a, a woman bathed in white light standing atop a hill. Hmm. It's almost so, like the Fatima prophecies. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. Almost, yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. Did, it, did he get a message or anything like that? She, she, apparently he never really talked about the message, but it certainly changed his life. He became a Christian from that point on. And from what I understand, that, that dictated the rest of his life. He, his family eventually converted. Uh, you know, they were swayed by the power of his belief. And when he went to the military, uh, it, it helped him find uh, a group of friends because they would see him praying at his bunk. And so they approached him. And so that certainly, uh, again, he built, I believe, the rest of his life kind of around that belief. So it was a, it was a transformative experience, to be sure. Yeah, very powerful. Well, it sounds like he did get a message then. I, I it, guess so. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as far as our, our reference goes, it, it culminated in a uh, <clears throat> a cloud-like thing following his car outside of Revelstoke one night as he, as he left town to go towards the Okanagan. Something hmm. that appeared to be about the same size as the car and paced them the, I would say, for about a kilometer or two. Gosh, well, that's, that's really something. Well, since there are so many uh, entities that show up in so many different places in the area, it, it, it seems to be that they don't talk about it to one another about what they see or what they feel until you came along to decide to uh, scratch the surface and find out what's underneath. I, I, I tend to agree. At the risk of sounding big-headed, it does seem mm-hmm. to be that uh, a lot of this wasn't really talked about it, 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 in a, in part of a community conversation until the last couple of years when I started poking around. Uh, again, I, I grew up there. I spent 24 years of my life in Revelstoke, and 95% of the stories in this book were unknown to me. And the 5% that were, were, you know, things that happened to me. So it's uh, it's it's been a real eye-opener. And, and since publication, I've been contacted by a number of people who have further stories. Oh, that's and, great. Yeah, it's, it's very encouraging. So I... I in fact, there's an entire chapter in the book called Whispers, which mm-hmm. is a home for things that would not fit elsewhere. Things, uh, <laughs> just little little bits of things that I couldn't develop into full stories, mm-hmm. but I thought should be recorded so people are, are aware of it. You know, things like quick UFO sightings or quick, the you know, a, a, a woman's voice laughing in, a, in an empty basement. Things like this. Things that 
that don't have a full story attached to them, but but happened and were told to me by people who who I trusted. I, I like to say right. I have a, a fairly well developed BS detector. Sounds like there's a sequel coming. Yes, I hope so. Well, we're going to take another short break. We are speaking with Brennan Store tonight. He is the author of A Strange Little Place. And stay tuned, everybody. You are listening to Supernatural Girls Radio, and we will be right back. Listening to IRN, the Inception Radio Network, Chicago, Illinois. Inception Radio Network listeners, this is Amanda. Just a reminder that Inception Radio Network is on Twitter. Follow us at I underscore R underscore N and keep up to date about who's on tonight, what interviews they'll be doing, who's guest spotting, what topics they'll be covering. Tweet to us, tweet about us, retweet topics to your friends, and most importantly, never miss a great show again. That's I underscore R underscore N. computer is your internet connection down don't worry use your trusty cell phone or landline and call into our listen line at 401-283-6700 to listen to the inception radio network 24 7 again that call in number is 401-283-6700 for the inception radio network i am mj my name is ezra and i'm from the highend.org you've heard of medical marijuana but who can you trust for proper guidance? Here at thehighend.org, we have all the information you need. Did you know that scientists have discovered cannabis can reduce inflammation, pain, and spasms? It's helped my patients reduce the symptoms of autoimmune diseases, PTSD, autism, and insomnia. A compound from hemp called CBD is doing wonders for intestinal issues, anxiety, and the nervous system. I sell this compound at thehighend.org. I've worked as a medical marijuana consultant and educator for the past six years, and here at thehighend.org, I can help you choose from the hundreds of cannabis strains and products and find the ones that are best for your needs. To learn more about cannabis, schedule a Skype or phone consultation, or to have a CBD product shipped right to your door, visit thehighend.org. That's thehighend, all one word, .org. I'll help make your health high-end. Inception Radio Network. Would you like your favorite show to be played again live on air? Well, now the choice is in your hands. With IRN's live request portal, an easy way to request your favorite show with a simple click. IRN's live request portal now gives you exclusive access to all the shows. How easy is it? Simply type a show name or a guest name, click request, even write a dedication message, and that's it. Try it now. Simply visit InceptionRadioNetwork.com. Click on the Live Request tab under the Show menu. Now playing your favorite show is just a mouse click away. Are you a fan of Inception Radio Network? Do you reckon it's the best alternative talk radio station on the planet? Well, if you do, head to Facebook.com forward slash Inception Radio Network and like the page. 
Tell your friends, spread the word, and keep listening to the best. Are you ready for a new experience of freedom and powerful connection? Would you like a positive, effortless change in your life? Then come to CosmicFusion.com, where we offer the most advanced energy clearing and expansion techniques in the world with a quantum vortex energy to activate your divine blueprint and life's purpose. When your soul leads the way with cosmic fusion and quantum vortex energy, you can break clear of past difficulties and blocks with the power of the source. With cosmic fusion, the source energy does the work for you. It's easy and effortless. Listen to our free meditation right from our Cosmic Fusion website, The Cosmic Code Meditation. Sign up for one of our interactive webinars today. Come to Cosmic Fusion, www.kosmicfusion.com to experience an effortless awakening and transformation. Are you ready for an upgrade? Are you ready for a new experience of living in the fifth dimensional magic and powerful connection? Then visit CosmicFusion.com today. CosmicFusion.com Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I'm here with my co-host, Patricia Kirkman, PK, and our guest tonight, Brennan Store, a strange little place, is what we're talking about, the events that have gone on for years, the hauntings, the UFO sightings, the Bigfoot sightings at Revelstoke. So here we are, Brennan. Let's... Oh, my gosh. There's so much to talk about that's going on in this little town. It's crazy. I I think one of the most fascinating things about Revelstoke is that it's it's still happening. You know, these are not, I mean, some of them are certainly historical sightings or historical stories, but Mm -hmm. a lot of these are are still in motion. And and I think one of the more interesting things that's going on is what I like to call the second geography of Revelstoke. There seems to be a a commonality to dreams about the place, which... Yeah, in, in terms of the structure of the town. And uh, to to start the story, I, I have to tell a, a sort of a semi-lengthy story about a dream I had. And in that dream, I am on top of what is called uh, Farwell Hill. And I, I am uh, gassing up my car at this little gas station that in reality is no longer there. Two children come out from behind the gas station. And I re- in the dream, I recognize them. I know their families. And we talk. And it's, it's, it's great. And so they ask if I would like to come visit. And I say, of course I would. I offer them a ride, and, and the little boy says, no, 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 we'll, we'll walk. I made a path. And I thought, oh, that's, that's cute. You made a path. Okay. <laughs> so in, in, in the dream, I follow them behind the store. Now, in real life, there is a, quite a sheer hill behind this store. But in the dream, there is, the sheer hill is there, but there is also this, this set of wooden steps. And I recall very vividly stepping onto these steps. They were planks of wood with stamped tin plates in them. And the railing was a heavy chain hung between wooden posts. Now, the stairs are quite steep, so I was forced to focus only on my feet. And I went down and down. And at one point, I heard the rushing of water, like a, like a waterfall. 
And then the next thing I, I knew, I was at the bottom, and I, I stepped out from some hedges, and I was on a dirt road. The road ran to the left and the right of me. The children ran off ahead to my right. I followed. And they ran over a small footbridge, which was made of thin strips of wood. I, I distinctly recall that. And under that ran what I believe was, was a stream or a creek. Having crossed the stream, I started up a small rise, and I saw a man pass ahead of me, and I thought, I know him from somewhere, but I don't know where. Hmm. I got to the top of the hill, and I looked out to my left, and I realized that the road continues, disappears out of sight, and in the distance I see Revelstoke. And I thought, well, I know all four roads out of town. That road isn't one of them, but I'm here. And I, I don't recognize where I am. And I, I, in the dream, I think, well, fair enough, because you accept things. To my right, the road descends into a mountain valley. And this is where the kids have run. So I follow them down the hill. And at this point, the sun is setting. And along the road to my left, I see a bunch of huts. And the huts are all uniform in size, sort of a thatched roof cottage type deal. But inside each hut is a, a bizarre mishmash of styles. There'll be a a brand new refrigerator with a, what looks like an 1800s wood stove. And in one of the huts, just for a moment, I think I see a woman, a heavy woman, at the stove, but then she turns and, and she's gone. And I think, well, I must have been imagining the whole thing. The children have stopped at a house right at the end of the road. And so I follow them, and they're standing outside with their parents. The valley continues off into the distance. The vanishing point is, is further than I can see. And again, it's beginning to, to, to get dark, so the shadows in that part of the valley are deepening. I meet the parents, and we chat, and it's great to catch up with them. But whenever I press them about what they're doing, they defer. They, they, they want to know what I'm doing. And eventually, they invite us inside for dinner. So I, we go inside, and we sit down to this, this, lovely, this lovely dinner in a, a wood-paneled dining room. One wall of the dining room is entirely glass, and it looks out on the valley. And oh, by this time... Nice. Oh, it's lovely. And by this time, it's night, and the valley is dark, and I can see a, a moon rising. And looking at this food, I, I distinctly recall there were these chocolate chip cookies. I, and I'll tell you, you ever want to sucker me into something? <laughs> chocolate chip cookies. There's the bait. Okay. But something told me not to eat them. And so I declined. And they never asked questions. They just went about eating. And then they... They asked me to help clear the tables because they had guests coming. And so the guests arrived in small groups, and they started to dance in this emptied-out dining room looking onto, the, looking onto the valley. And the music played, and they turned, and eventually the moon was full. And I realized as they passed through the moonlight, these people became transparent. Mm. And I realized they're all dead. Huh. This is the land of the dead, and that's why I couldn't eat the food, because you can't eat their food, or you have to stay. And the oh. dancers sped and danced faster and faster, and I woke up, and I thought, well, that was a nifty dream. Except Christmas last year, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he told me about a strange run of dreams he'd been having. And in those dreams, he explores this mountain valley just outside of Revelstoke, and it's, he describes it as being like a fantasy setting. It's, it's wild with streams and rivers and mountains. And he describes the location of this valley to me, which were in real life, if it were, it would be just beyond 
the river and just beyond the, the small rise behind the river. And I thought that was interesting, but I filed it away until later that night when I realized where I was standing in my dream, when you look back towards the city and where the valley begins, puts me in the same location mm. as oh, his wow. valley. That would make Maybe you stop and think. Now, yeah. I will share this with you also, Brennan. I was a dream therapist for over 20 years. I will tell you, quite honestly, that dream is not of your own direction. That direction of that dream came from outside of you. It's a very expansive dream. Now, when you were telling us this, mm-hmm. I could feel the expansion of the energy. It's much bigger than you, that dream. Interesting. And it didn't come from you. I mean, that's not a likely dream for you to have. So the question is, who is directing that dream for you and your friend and probably others? And others, because I was describing that very dream to someone, and I just got to the part about the stairs when the woman, who's a, a friend of mine, stopped me and said, the railing's made out of chains and wood, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So who's doing this? And I, I'll put my money on the extraterrestrials any day when it comes to things like this. I've seen them manipulate dreams before. And I would say that they were directing you and your friends, the people that you spoke with that had this very similar uh, vision in their dreams. It wasn't really a dream. This was a direction. And they were watching how you would react. That's fascinating, because there was one other that I, I think is, is really striking to me, and that is a, a common dream between me and another friend, I realized, about a road south of town, which doesn't exist in the form which we recall, but we both recall this road that stretches, winds a long way through the mountains, and sometimes is flooded out by rivers. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, we both... We both dream of this place, but independently. And when we came together, we realized it. And it it just baffles and it defies conventional explanation. So it it, it makes me wonder what their endgame is, what, what they see, what they're expecting out of this. That is a good question. And from what I've been able to determine, they love to watch reactions. They like to see how you're going to react to the chocolate chip cookies or the, the people who are dead when you finally realize they're dead. And I'm sure they put that thought in your head as you were dreaming. So they love to watch those types of reactions. And the question is, why you? Why this town? Uh, because it would be interesting when you go back to do your second book to find out how many other people had the same kind of dream. I bet there's probably 30, 40 people that have had that dream. Also, find out what the biggest teaser was because you said you love chocolate chip cookies. That was the biggest mm-hmm. tease for you. Right. And did others fall into the same gap of yeah. uh, looking at something specific? Yeah, like the chocolate chips for you might be mm-hmm. peanut butter for them. Who knows? But right. Yeah, that's a good way to look at that, PK. I think you'll find, uh, Brennan, a a whole bunch of new material if you go down that road. Yeah. And it's a little creepy, too, when you think about (laughs) the fact that they've got the power (laughs) to to basically influence how you dream. Absolutely. And it 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 makes me wonder, too, about an event that happened to me when I was very young, which is I, I was four years old and it was up at the Revelstoke Hospital. And this is this is all this is not a dream. This actually happened. Uh-huh. Uh, I believe my mother was in hospital after after giving birth to my sister, and I was allowed to stay and visit a little bit longer than everyone else. 
And uh, my grandfather told me, just go to the elevator and come down when you're done. Because it, it's a small town. I mean, there was no concern about this. This would have been 1987. Mm-hmm. You know, no concern about my safety. So I did. I got in the elevator and I went down. But when the door opened, the door opened in front of me. And I recall looking at what appeared to be the lobby of the hospital, but disused. There was a curiously flat quality to the lighting, like, like no one had been there for a very, very long time. And it, it looked abandoned, but it looked exactly wow. this, the way it had when I came in. So I, I, couldn't, I couldn't understand it. And then the door closed. I was, I was afraid, and the door closed, and then the door opened behind me. And my grandfather was there, and he goes, oh, there you are. And he, he picked me up, and, and off we went. And I asked him, I said, you know, Grandpa, I saw this. And he said, oh, well, half the hospital was built, but they can't afford to use it, so it just sits empty. And, and I believe that. I kid you not, until I believe late 2014. When I mentioned this to my casually to my mother, who was a, she is a housekeeper at that hospital, and she said, "No, no, no, no." She said, "That's insane." She said, "The top floor is not used, but where the door opens on the ground floor, if the door opens in front of you, that should be a well lit corridor. Mm-hmm. It's not a storage area." And so I thought that was very, of course, very odd. And uh, later that you're, year, you're sorry? lucky you didn't step off. I think you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Because when I went to see a psychic, uh, which is not normally something I do, but my wife uh, had got me a gift certificate, so I, I went. Because, you know, I, I believe that you can perhaps talk to the departed, but I, I don't really have any questions to ask. I, I figure I'll, I'll meet up with them, you know, when it's, when it's time. What but a good enough, huh? What a good husband it. you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's a good wife. She puts up with me, so. That's great. But, uh, so I went to the psychic, and she asked if I had any questions beforehand. So I just wrote down... Uh, what happened that day in the hospital and on a piece of paper. And that's it. No, nothing more identifying than that. And according to this woman, my grandfather came through and he and I were quite close and he passed about 11 years ago. And he said, do you remember when you were very young and you used to slip between dimensions? Mm. Well, that's a good example. <laughs> I guess it is. <laughs> yes, and it it's does. lucky you didn't step off that elevator because I think you would have found yourself in a different time frame, dimension, or whatever. It would have been so scary for you. So thank God you didn't get off that elevator. Amen to that. It was it was unnerving enough as it is. I bet. Oh, my goodness. But, you know, it's somewhere you knew it, somewhere you felt it, right? I think so. I, I, I have a very fleeting memory of, of the time, of course. This is 30 years ago. But I, I remember the way it looked, and I remember feeling very frightened and not wanting to move. That was so good. It, uh, yeah, so, and that that's not mentioned in the book. That's just something that happened to me, and I, I'm still sort of making sense of it in my head, but it, it does make me wonder how many other people in Revelstoke have experienced perhaps similar things. I think quite a few. Again, if you go down that road for your next book, you're going to find a lot of material. And as I mentioned when we were all off the air discussing this, when I looked mm-hmm. at Revelstoke, I'll just mention this again to you, Brennan, I saw uh, the vortexes and the, what I call the screen doors, because it looks like a screen door that's in motion. The holes in the screen were extremely large, the largest I've ever seen. And to me, that gives me the uh, the feeling that things could easily come in from other dimensions, you could easily slip through into another dimension when the vortexes and the portals look like that. They're not supposed to be that lax. They're supposed to be much tighter. And you could just, that's the feeling I got when I checked into Revelstoke when I was reading your book. So yeah, I think that you'll find other people have had similar experiences with space and time. 
be interesting to see how many other people have tried to figure it out without letting other without letting others know for fear that they'd be looking yeah. foolish. But I think there's a lot of questions there. It just seems like there's so much happening. It's almost like watching ping pong balls bouncing off the wall. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much going on. Now, we were going to also talk to you, Brennan, about uh, Sasquatch, Bigfoot sightings. Oh, and yes. Experiences. Oh, yes. Yeah, we have uh, a number of Sasquatch sightings going back as far as I recall as 1977, uh, when a, a group of tree planters found enormous, uh, as I understand, enormous footprints in a, in a remote region while they were planting trees and uh, all felt quite, quite um, unsettled. But... I think the most fascinating account that happened was uh, something that, that was reported to me by an old friend of mine. Uh, this fellow is a forester, and he was, le- he was traveling again east out of Revelstoke very early in the morning heading to work. And he had, uh, several weeks prior, he had hit a bear on his way to work. So when he saw a hairy figure by the side of the road, he thought, oh, well, that's another bear, so I better slow down. And that slowing down allowed him to really get a good look at the thing standing by the road. And that thing was standing upright. And it wasn't a bear. It was about four and a half, five feet tall. It was muscular. It was thick. And it had long, stringy hair. He he believed it was maybe six to eight inches long. And it was just leaning against a tree watching him pass. And as he passed, the thing reached out stepped away from the tree, reached out, grabbed the tree with its, uh, with its palm towards the tree and used the tree to pivot around so it was facing the opposite direction. And then it walked on its hind legs into the tree line and disappeared. And, uh, of course, no bear has that kind of motor control. No. Right. It's not possible for bears. Yeah. Now, did your friend have his windows down? I wondered if he, he got a whiff of that horrible smell that Bigfoot is supposed to have. He did not, unfortunately. He, he had them up. It was, it, I think it was quite cold, and he was uh, previously traveling at highway speeds, of course, which makes it difficult to oh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. have them open. But uh, that's uh, far from, from the only one. I had some issues with rights in regards to certain accounts I'd found online, but there are, I would say, at least a solid six to eight that I, that I recovered stories of of Bigfoot stepping across the road, stopping traffic. In one particular occasion, it disappeared entirely. It crossed the road to the side, which to a side of the road, which has a a chasm, uh, you know, on the other side. And it it, it just seemed to step over and was gone. And people actually parked and looked over to see if this, again, they thought maybe it's a bear, maybe it's fallen over the cliff. Nope, there was nothing down there. But some enormous hairy thing had crossed in front of them on its hind legs and stepped off the edge. Incredible. Well, and this is not the first time that we've heard about Bigfoot disappearing. It Apparently, that's something they can do. They can just walk through a portal into another dimension, and we don't see them anymore. They're gone. I, I've heard that, yeah. And I, I've heard that that's, that's sort of not a popular theory among the more... Uh, uh, some of the, you know, say mainstream uh, Bigfoot researchers. I don't know if that's true, but I've been told that this is not a, a popular theory because it, it takes away from the sort of the uh, undiscovered ape theory. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Except we had a couple of people on the show that were Bigfoot researchers, and they were camped. They had a trail cam set up. They went to sleep in their sleeping bags, and the trail cam shot a picture of a Bigfoot 
looking, kind of squatting down and looming. And I want to say looming because this thing was so big over the two of them. Now, one of these, one of the people was an expert with expeditions into very challenging territory and foreign countries. So he always learned to sleep with one eye open. What was so strange is that neither one of them woke up during this encounter. So, yeah. So talk about, you know, an animal that is, or whatever it is, that's that stealthy, that it can lean over you and stare at you while you are sleeping. And this thing was close to these people. Mm -hmm. And they didn't, they never woke up. They never batted an eye about it. it. It was just, you know, this thing was capable of being that stealthy and then was gone. Well, I, I tell you, even if I had woken up while something like that was looming over me, I would have made a great deal of effort into uh, appearing as though I had not. I bet. You might <laughs> have been would... like with the shadow man and just gone right to sleep. <laughs> That's it. And it would have been the last time I went camping, I assure you. Oh, I know it. Really. Oh, but these are great stories. Now, is there any story that you wrote about and researched in a strange little place that you found just so disturbing that it kept you up at night? Uh, well, the most disturbing one was was the missing time because whenever I sat down to write that, I felt like I was being watched, and, and I know that sounds very dramatic, but it that was simply the case. I I felt I began the chapter while traveling. I was in Denver Airport, and I finished it at home in Victoria, and I I really felt like something was just right next to me something was mm-hmm. something or someone was observing me and it was not a it was a very uncomfortable feeling but i, I think probably the most the other one that, that gave me perhaps chills the most was the story of the girl in the blue dress mm-hmm. and the yeah. that uh i had two residents uh, a family who lived in a house south of town and the the current residents have asked me not to identify the location but they lived they lived in this house and they had a lot of odd things happen a bump in the night, things jumping about, you know, sounding like the cat was bounding up and down the stairs, but the cat was out for the night, these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But it really came together when the youngest daughter said to the mother uh, something about her new friend. And the mother wasn't aware that any new families had come to the neighborhood. It's a fairly small neighborhood. And so she, she asked the daughter for clarification. And the little girl said, well, you know, my friend, she wears, uh, she's got long brown hair and she wears a blue dress and she comes at night. And the mother didn't know what to make of it, and nothing bad seemed to happen, happen so they left it. But then, uh, cut ten years later, there's a new family living there with a, a boy and a girl. And the babysitter working or staying with the kids one night was a friend of the couple who used to live there. And the little girl started talking about her sister. And the babysitter said, well, you don't have a sister, you, you have a brother. And the little girl said, no, no, my sister, my, my other sister. She she has brown hair and she wears this little blue dress and she comes to me at night, and in the morning she goes back to the bushes. Mm-hmm. There you have it. Yep, there she. So she never left. She was there the whole time. What's fascinating though is I've also heard reports of a girl in a little blue dress from Pennsylvania. Oh, oh really? Huh? Yeah, I can't recall. It was on another researcher uh, was talking about it on a podcast, but. It's just a it's a fascinating through line to uh, to Pennsylvania that I seem to have, which uh, we don't have time to get into, but certainly raises a number of questions in my mind. Oh, absolutely. Well, I've got a bunch of questions still. The chat room, I love our audience. They ask the best questions. Uh, Richard wants to know, is the town or mountain range located near a fault line? 
I believe now I, I'm I'm very ignorant about geology, so pardon me, Richard, if I if I get this wrong. But as I understand it, anywhere there are mountains, there are at least old fault lines. Mm-hmm. And so, I, being that the town is surrounded by uh, nine thousand foot tall mountains, uh, I would say there are it, it, the area is riven with with old old fault lines. Uh, and of course, I, I have been told that this this has some effect that certain things travel along these faults, but. Uh, Obviously, I can't speak to that. But yes, I do believe there are a number of, of old fault lines which run uh, through Revelstoke. You may want to also check with Peter Shampoo, who we've had on the show as a guest. He is a ley line expert, and he can identify for you what is underneath Revelstoke. Ah, now that's so, nice. Yeah, I'll mm-hmm. give you Peter's contact information. He's just a genius at figuring all these things out. Make sure you have that. So here's another question. There's a couple questions about the huts that uh, I believe you dreamt about. They want to know if you think that people would travel through these huts into another world, if the huts were like portals themselves. It's fascinating. You know, the, the, the minute you talk about the place again, I get chills. And <laughs> I, the honest answer is I, I don't know. And I suppose it's possible, but I think that that kind of exploration is the kind of exploration that maybe you don't come back from. Mm-hmm. Or, or that if you are not careful, you don't come back from. So I would say that if you, uh, should you find yourself dreaming about a row of huts in a valley that doesn't exist, be very careful about where you go. Yeah, you better mm-hmm. just check yourself. <laughs> That's it. I, Scary. I don't make any sudden moves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Brennan, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. This has been so much fun talking with you about all of these occurrences in Revelstoke. So please keep us posted on book number two. I'm sure you're going to be doing that one. And next week, everybody, we have Robbie Thomas. He is our psychic detective. He's coming in and telling us all the stories about how he's found dead bodies, solved murder cases, put the bad guys in jail. We're going to be talking to Robbie next week. Until then, everybody, we will see you on the Blue Highway. Good night. Good night.